Hi and welcome back to another daily devotion. I received feedback that um, a lot of there's a lot of sounds, traffic noises in my recording in the past few days. Um, well, the unfortunate truth is that my house is at the corner, at the junction of two very very busy roads. So I've tried uh, going to various rooms, uh, curtains, shut the doors as much as I could, uh, but. Um, I think this is the best I can do. Um, sometimes I get up really early before the traffic um, gets busy, but um, well, that doesn't always happen. So I'll keep trying to look for quiet spots, but um, the best is I'll speak a bit louder wherever necessary. Today we want to look at culture, how different the world's culture is from the culture of the kingdom of God and how violently this culture seeks to displace the kingdom of God from the church and from Christians. Let's look then at Matthew chapter 11 verse 1 to 19. Matthew 11 verse 1 to 19. Father, speak to us this very, very precious truth. Because Lord, we know that we often slip in this area and we need you not only to speak into our minds and our hearts but we need the holy spirit to sustain us to hold us to the truth of your word we ask in jesus name amen matthew 11 verse 1 to 19 after jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of galilee when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. Violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John the Baptist had a terrible climax to his ministry. At the end of 
all that he had done in preparing the way for Christ. He was placed in jail, not by some foreign forces, but by the ruler of the own people who claimed to worship his God. The, old, the very people who looked forward to the King of Kings, to God himself coming to rule. And now he was an outcast, he was jailed by the king of this nation. When placed in a situation like that, we, it was most natural for one to feel discouraged, to feel in doubt. After all, if Jesus was really from God, if, he was, if John the Baptist was really telling people about the King of Kings coming, God, God coming with his kingdom to rule, how could he end up like this? It's not as though John did not know that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, at his baptism, even before his baptism, John had been in the wilderness preaching that there would come a man, someone whose shoes he could not even he was not even worthy to untie. He knew that Jesus was coming, and when he saw Jesus come to be baptized, he recognized immediately that this was he, the anointed one. And then he saw the dove descend on Jesus' head and a voice that said, This is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. So it wasn't as though John had not met Jesus or could not recognize Jesus or didn't know anything about Jesus. John had preached about Jesus, had seen Jesus, had seen the anointing on Jesus. And yet now in the dungeon, he started to have doubts. Did he preach? Did he spend his life well? Or was his entire life ministry wasted? having betted on the wrong person. And then Jesus replied and told his disciples to tell John this, that the blind see the, the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus' message was this, that the least, the most vulnerable, the poorest, the most broken, the most injured people have now been ministered to. The good news has gone out to the poor. What Jesus was saying is, wasn't this all that you lived for? Wasn't this that which was proclaimed to you, that the broken, the untouchable, the unwanted, the poor, would receive news of a shepherd who cares for them? And then Jesus said, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble account of me. Basically, Jesus was saying, you've got the right one. You did the right work. I believe that was good enough for John. With all his doubts and wondering where he stood in God's eyes, the message that the gospel had been preached and reached to those whom God loved, the poor, the vulnerable, the outcasts, preached, the gospel had been preached. It was evidence that God had come. But it's the same for us. It's, Christian ministry is not always glamorous. Sometimes it is very glamorous. We stand on the pulpit and preach. But often it is filled with pain, disappointments, failure. The reality is that all of us, like John, need affirmation, need to, be, to see evidence that things, good things are happening. And often we want to see the result of our ministry. How many of us have laboured 
many in agape have labored for years to see very little change, very little movement, to be opposed by the people that you were supposed to work with, to be unappreciated, even to have your ministries and your services devalued by the very Christians who are supposed to journey, to labor with you. And you would then often ask, did I waste all my time? Some of you came from good churches and then you uprooted and you brought your whole family to Agape just to serve, making many sacrifices. Others actually made sacrifices not only in time but in opportunities and even in careers. And then unappreciated. Unable to see at that moment great fruit. Of course, John the Baptist saw much fruit when thousands upon thousands thronged to see him, but at that moment, at the last moment, he saw little. The king who was supposed to appreciate his work had thrown him into jail. We often associate God's favour with success in our ministries. If I were really favoured by God, if I were really walking the way of God, would not my ministry flourish? Would not I be affirmed by many? That many would come to hear, and not only to hear, but to be drawn to God. Isn't that the natural consequence? Reality is that it is not so. There is only one thing that is a test of whether we are doing what is right and what is God's will. And it is that the least of all people, the lame, the blind, the poor, the injured, the wounded, the hurt, the unwanted, the poor, get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Other things that we look for do not always show God's favour. John did not receive the favour of his king, and yet he was walking in God's favour. It's a very big struggle for us, especially as full-time workers. A friend of mine who was serving, about to go full-time, was worried about his finances. So he asked me, how, how do I manage with my finances? I was tempted to tell him of how God provides for us, how God provided for me and my family, how though I was very worried about my daughter's education and her fees, God supplied the needs and gave her a scholarship. I wish I could assure him that his children would also be taken care of in a similar way. But that would have been unfair because I know of missionaries who have served God all their lives and at the end of their lives have no money even for medical treatment or for a home or for proper food. A friend of mine went with his family to Africa and his beloved daughter died of a disease simply because they did not have medical care. What I could share was only my own story and that wasn't always the case. Others have suffered and paid heavy prices. And so when I think about it, there is only one thing that's in common that shows that our ministry is going the right way. And that is that we minister to the needy, the lame, the poor, the blind, the deaf, the lepers, and that the good news is preached, including the poor. This is the mark of a person who is doing God's will. But it's very distracting, I must say. 
It's very distracting constantly to wonder if my ministry will be successful, if it is favoured by God. Constantly, we must be reminded these things are not guaranteed. What is guaranteed is when God's will is done. I'm sure after John's disciples had left, the crowds were then very puzzled. Why? Why was was there something wrong with this man, John the Baptist? We all went out into the wilderness to listen to him, but now he's being condemned by his own king, by our king. He must be a criminal. There must be something very wrong with him. It can't be that the government would go after this man if he were really a man after God's heart. These would have been some of the doubts and some of the thoughts that the crowds had. So Jesus had to be blunt with them. And he asked the crowd, Well, you all, all of you made that long, arduous journey into the wilderness. All of Jerusalem and the neighbouring cities, all of you went to listen to John the Baptist. Why? Did you go there just to waste your time and see a reed blown in the wind? There's nothing to see. Did you just go there to waste time? Or did you go there to see a king, a man dressed in fine finery, someone who's impressive? No, those are in Jerusalem, those are in the cities and the palaces. You didn't have to go that far into the wilderness to see such a person. But you went to see a man, listen to a man, who preached the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because your hearts were longing for God. Your hearts hungered for God. You didn't go there to see some great man, some well-dressed person. You went there because he had the words of God. And you were right. Because there is no greater man on earth, born of women, who is greater than John the Baptist. He was the greatest and you were right in going out into the wilderness to listen to him. But you know, in the eyes of the world, he is the least. The least in the kingdom of God would be greater than this man, John. The worst, the most furthest away from God would be greater than this great man, John, on earth. And then Jesus moved on to something else that was, again, familiar to to the hearers. Jesus said, You chaps are very contradictory because when John came neither eating nor drinking he came fasting people say he has a demon but the son of man who is on the same side as John came eating and drinking and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners what he was saying was that the standards of the world judged these two persons so wrongly there is truth in John the Baptist's lifestyle, and there is truth and goodness in the lifestyle of Jesus. But the world contradicted both of them. You see, both these, this is a paradox. John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking. He was an ascetic, a stoical man who was willing to throw away all his wealth all luxuries, all other forms of enjoyment, because he had one mission in mind, and that was to proclaim that the kingdom of God had come. Nothing else was more precious to John than that God's rule had come. Nothing else brought him greater pleasure, greater joy, than to see people hear the news 
that God had come. John was not a miserable man. He lived an ecstatic life not because he didn't want these things, but simply because he saw a greater pleasure, a greater joy. The joy of knowing God, the joy of seeing others know God, and that was good enough for him. But the world did not see it that way. The world saw this man who had, who was dressed in camel's hair and ate honey, who lived in the desert, in the wilderness, who had no money. Surely this man cannot be blessed. The world thought that a person who is blessed would be prosperous, would be well kept, would look good, that they would be enjoying, enjoying their lives and prospering. And such is the culture that has seeped into the church. Many churches teach prosperity. And I'm not talking about the churches, the big churches that teach prosperity gospel. Most of us view the rich as more favoured by God. Even simple churches like us often think that a person who is close to God would prosper because God has blessed him materially. Isn't that true? Which is why James, the apostle, in his time, centuries before our time, in his time said, when a rich man comes, why is it that you treat a rich man differently than when a poor man comes? Isn't, because, isn't it because you have greater respect, you think high, more highly of a rich person? Perhaps subconsciously then you think that the rich person has got God's favour and a poor person doesn't. This is the culture of the world that has seeped into the church, where in our most unconscious, subconscious moments, we always think that the richer ones are closer to God than the poorer ones. They are worthy of greater respect, greater honour, greater admiration. Implicit in this is that the poor man is not favoured by God. And so when they saw that this man, John the Baptist, wasn't having great drinks and great food and wasn't coming, living it up with all luxury, he must be of the devil. He must be of the lowest of the low. He must not be blessed by God. He has demons, they say. But Jesus came the opposite way. Jesus came eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And the people judged him also and said that he was an unrighteous man, a glutton, a sinner. And that's the other way that the culture of this world has invaded the kingdom of God and the church. Because Jesus came to eat with sinners, to be with sinners because he loved sinners. He was not rejecting sinners. And every sinner was precious to him, and so he lived their lifestyle that he might be close to them. He did not frown on them or cast them out. But the world sees it very differently. The world is a moral world, and it sees such immorality as bad as to be cast out. And so when they saw Jesus spending time with sinners, they judged him also. One of the biggest, other biggest danger about Christianity is that it has become a religion of morality. We look at morality and we judge people by, by their morality. We see who is worthy of the kingdom of God by how moral they are. 
And so the church becomes very intolerant of anyone who lives immorally. True, God wants to transform our lives. But we make it morality a prerequisite. So often we make it a prerequisite to even coming to God. We make it hard for sinners to enter the church or to find God. And so these two twin, somewhat contradictory values of the world come together in an ugly paradox. First, that one favoured by God would be enjoying life, would be having prosperity, would be having all good things, and that's a great sign that you are walking in God's ways. But the other side is that anyone who is a sinner is frowned upon and should be excluded from the church and from the fellowship of God's kingdom. These are the two things in culture that fight violently. That's why Jesus said, people have fought violently against the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has experienced and faced great violence. These two forces drive out the values of the kingdom of God from Christians and from the church. Because the value of the kingdom of God first is that there's no greater joy, no greater, greater enjoyment than knowing God and than seeing others come to know God as well. And that very often the ones who serve God do not prosper materially, do not prosper the way we think they should. That whether rich or poor, neither wealth nor poverty can be an indication of a person's acceptance by God or a person's closeness to God. And secondly, that God is so welcoming of sinners. God doesn't have a timeline to say, I give you 10 days before you to clean up after which you leave the church. God embraces them. Not only does he embrace them, he joins them in the things in where they are that he might touch their lives. We need to hold these two principles in tension, but hold them closely to our hearts so that the culture of the world will not infect us and bring the church into a worldly church that's either moral, too moral and moralistic, or too much into prosperity. And so we come back to the question that Jesus asked his disciples, his hearers, why did you go to the wilderness? Who did you go to listen to? Was there not a yearning for God? You see, that's where the tragedy is as well. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus. I didn't give my life to Jesus because he promised me wealth. I gave it because there was an emptiness in my heart. There was a longing in my heart. In fact, there was turmoil in my heart. I wanted peace. And as I surrendered my life, ironically, I had a vision. I had a vision of me in a storm, meaning that my life would not be peaceful. My life would not always be prosperous nor successful. The storm represented the failures in my life, crisis in my life. And that my life would be full of crisis and failures. And yet I would be calm, I would be at peace, and I would be secure because God was holding me in his hands. And so when I gave my life to God, I never thought about becoming 
rich or being blessed with all these material blessings. Nor did I think that I was worthy of God. It came at a time when I realized how unworthy I was of God, that I was an utter sinner. And I was just grateful that God would accept me when I gave my life to Jesus. I remember, I am sure that many of you feel the same way. That when you first gave your life to Jesus, it wasn't for wealth or prosperity. It was for a sense of peace, a sense of security that the King of Kings was watching over you. And you certainly didn't, weren't conscious of your morality. You were probably saying, not just as I am, a broken, sinful man or woman, have mercy upon me. And yet as we evolve as Christians over the years, we turn Christianity into a moral religion where we judge one another. Look, that one's not moral. Look, the other one's behaving badly. Look, these sinners are coming into our church. How could we let them come in? Or we turn our faith into God bless me with more money. God bless me with greater success. God bless me with crowds of adoration. We never started that way. We cannot afford to end that way either. If we have, it is so important that we repent. Because tomorrow we'll talk about Jesus' urgent message of repentance. And now we need to repent. We need to repent because we have allowed the world into our lives and into our churches into a way of thinking. We need to ask God to bring us back to that place where all we want is for God to be present in our lives, for better, for worse, in sickness, in health, for richer, for poorer, that God will be in our lives and reign in our lives. Let us pray. Father, following you is such a perilous journey. We started off well. We started off just wanting you. Just wanting you to walk with us and wanting to walk with you. We didn't have many demands of you. We didn't demand that you give us great success in our businesses and promotions in our work or great grades in our studies. We just wanted you because you gave us joy. Joy that was greater than anything else. We knew we were sinners. We knew that we did not deserve any good thing from you. We knew we, we were no better than the worst of sinners. Father, along the way, we have slipped. We have slipped in our expectations and our prayers to you. Rather than asking that you be the joy of my desire, that you be the fulfillment of all things, we've turned to ask you for more money, We've turned to ask you for greater luxuries. We've turned to ask you for the things of the world. And then, Lord, we've turned around and we've judged our brothers and sisters. We've judged those within and those without. We've looked at people and felt they are not worthy to be in your kingdom. Forgetting that when we first came to your kingdom, we were totally unworthy as well. Father, forgive us. But more than forgive us, Lord, transform our hearts. Transform our hearts to wanting to seek you and your kingdom alone. 
Transform our hearts to realize that you seek every sinner. And Lord, therefore, to welcome every sinner into our midst. Come, Lord, change our hearts and change our minds. Soften our hearts. Once again, Lord, we may rejoice in one thing and be assured that we are in your will because of one thing, that your good news is preached and people are ministered to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again. and See you again tomorrow. Have a good day. God bless.